That is absolute slander. Is it slander or libel? Libels. What's the one that's written down? I don't know, but for the casual law enthusiast, it's probably <laughs> not a lot of difference. <laughs> Good. Very professional. You can feel the chemistry already. <laughs> I was physically pissed by the time the game kicked off. We're really going to have to cut this. <laughs> We're definitely going to have to cut this. I feel we should get off this subject now, making me annoyed. I bet he's in your fantasy team. There goes our hopes of this being a family-friendly podcast. <laughs> we have no idea what we're doing. Yeah. Obviously, I don't want Liverpool to do well. And someone who, you know, obviously hopes that it doesn't go well at United. Hello and welcome to episode four of the Lawrence and Ed podcast with me, Ed. And me, Lawrence. So, quite a week this week, Lawrence, for uh, both our teams. I think, well, let's get it out of the way. Ronaldo, what are your initial thoughts? Um, obviously, very happy, I think. Well, it's, tell um... that to your tone of voice. <laughs> <laughs> you caught me off guard. I wasn't expecting um, <laughs> to go into Ronaldo straight away. Oh, let's um... rephrase that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like him. I don't, <laughs> I don't like him that much. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think... There's kind of two two elements to this from my point of view. One, I think he's a world-class footballer. So, you know, it's great to have him in a position where said in earlier pods that I think United could do with another centre-forward. They've now got one. He's as good as anyone sticking the ball in the net. So that's great and happy from that. But also just the fact that he is probably the best United player I've ever seen play for the club. He's, he's absolutely idolised by all United fans. And there's, so there's that element of the deal as well that you're getting that back into the club it's just very nice and it's fun I think a lot of the time because there's so much money in football and everybody's very serious about it people just forget that football is actually meant to be entertaining and fun yeah Um, and this is a fun transfer so whilst I'm quite happy for other people to poke holes in it say he's too slow they should do this they should do that they shouldn't buy him etc you've seen from the response that 99.9% of United fans are absolutely delighted with it so, in all honesty, nobody else's opinion particularly bothers me on, the, on this one. <laughs> no, I think that's. I think you're right on that. The overwhelming kind of sense that I got when the transfer was being announced was just this excitement from loads of United fans and the fact that, especially the young ones, the ones who have kind of heard stories about Ronaldo and seen footage, seen clips, and obviously then seen him at Madrid and then Juventus, but have not actually had a chance to see him in person. I mean, I'm... I'm lucky that I have seen him play in person for United. And he's, as you said, one of the best players I've ever seen kick a ball in the Premier League, you know, regardless of who he plays for. So I think that was a huge thing. And to inject a bit of excitement back into back into United. And in terms of the, the money, I don't think it really matters because I think they'll make it back in shirt sales alone, to be honest, with someone like Ronaldo. Yeah. Uh, and also it's not United have got money to spend. And they should spend more of it on the football side of things. I, I know they've spent a lot on player sales, but United make so much more money than any other club do. United should be spending money on footballers. It's, you know, it's well, I think about 15 million plus some add-ons and then the salary, although it is odd that it seems that only when United buy players, the salary is brought up um, and included on the total deal. Um, but yeah, it's, the finances aren't particularly big. And United should be spending money on on players when they need them. And the, uh, it was also quite funny that obviously they they beat City to the the transfer yeah. when City were fans were falling over themselves to 
start idolizing Ronaldo and then having to quickly perform a, a U-turn and um, get the briefing out there that they didn't want him anyway. Um, it's a bit of a surprise that those stories didn't come out on the on the Thursday night when it seemed like he was going to sign for City. I'd have thought if they, that wasn't the case, then they would have denied them then rather than Friday lunchtime. But well, speaking we of U-turns, there was quite a few U-turns from United fans as well, weren't there? With the, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the I mean, there's obviously the that. The... <laughs> yeah, yeah. You sent you sent me that. Um, yeah. I th- again, I think had he joined City. Then um, the immediate reaction would have been re- obviously real disappointment. I think most United fans would have got over it just because at that point United weren't in for him. If he'd chosen City over United, then that would have caused a real long-lasting issue. I think, and it would have coloured everything that Ronaldo did at United in his first spell. But I think the fact if he'd gone to City and, and nobody else was interested, then I think it's a bit different. But the fact that the second United decided, okay, we'll do this. They didn't need to convince Ronaldo. He was like, okay, fine. Well, I'll come to United yeah. instead. So I think that kind of says everything. Well, I think it was a bit of 5D chess, to be honest, with from Ronaldo. I, I don't for a second think, I said all along, and it was off air, but you'll have to back me up on this one. I, I never thought he would end up at City. All these rumours coming out, and it, there was just something about it that didn't feel quite right. And I feel like City have potentially been baited a little bit. I mean, I don't feel sorry for them in the slightest. But they've been baited a bit because I think Ronaldo obviously wanted out of Juventus. He's always said that he would go back to United. They weren't in for him. And then it was a bit of, OK, well, I'll go to City then. Knowing full well that the Glazers, Solskjaer, whoever, w- were never going to let that happen. And he's got his move that he wanted. So perhaps it's a bit of that as well. Yeah, I, th- I think that's probably, you know, the way football works, the way agents work. That's quite possibly true. I think what I'd just like to say as well is that I think he's obviously going to set such a good example for the young players at the club and for the players at the club who are perhaps not that young, but have maybe not reached their full potential yet. And they're going to see a player who, you know, spends all all of his free time in the gym, in recovery, in, you know, he does everything right to be a top, top footballer. But I think just for the sake of balance, I think we do, we should probably talk about is he the player that they need? I think I'll, I'll start off with a potential issue is that if you're Marcus Rashford and if you're Mason Greenwood, and I'm going to come on to this later in terms of how young English players are, are treated in the game, is that an issue? Are they going to get less playing time? Is that a, a lack of vote of confidence that they need? I know that the opportunity to sign Ronaldo doesn't come up very often. So the manager's always going to take it. But is it perhaps going to have a negative effect on some of the younger players or do you think it will be all positive? No, I genuinely think it's an absolute no-brainer. I think you're right about the example Ronaldo sets. It'd be brilliant for those younger players to work with him. You know, Mason Greenwood particularly will learn a huge amount off him. And you're right that some of the older players, I think it will help focus them. I don't want to pick on him, but the the example of Pogba thrived at Juve when he wasn't the, the biggest fish in the pond. He was looking up to other senior players. I think that will help Pogba. And in terms of the opportunities, I think... You're right, but I think the player in question there is Martial. I think it shows what Ollie and the staff think of him in yeah. the long term, and that's that he's not good enough. Ollie's put a lot of faith in Martial. Um, he's had spells in the last two, three years where he has looked really good. He scored quite a lot of goals in Ollie's first full season, um, but has gone right off the boil. Started this season 
he was awful last week. And I think this signing shows that it's Martial is the one who may be pushed to the periphery because Ronaldo's not obviously not the same player that he was in in United in the first bout at United. I think he'll play through the middle. I think generally the plan for this season for Greenwood was always that he would play most of his football from the right still. He's obviously excelled in the first three games playing through the middle. But I think he will play more football from the right-hand side and Rashford doesn't play through the middle much. He plays from the left. So I don't think Ronaldo will take any game time off of them. And between him and Cavani, they should be able to play as many games as United need through the middle this season. Well, I actually, I completely agree with Oli if that is his assessment because I've always thought Martial has the potential to be a good footballer. But he's always just struck me as the mentality is not quite right. He always, he's one of those players who... When he gets fouled or tackled, he turns around as if like, how dare you touch me? And it's like, you're Martial, you're not Messi, you're not Ronaldo. And I think that that attitude has, he's one of, I could probably name three or four players in that United squad who just come across as dickheads and not in a good way, not in a way that's like, oh, we don't want to play against them. You know, like how Chelsea have got a few dickheads in their team, but they're almost positive on a football footballing side of things United you know like Martial Jesse Lingard there's 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 players that you kind of think actually you're you're turning the heads of the young players not in a good way you're setting a very poor example and I think Martial definitely fits into that and I think for Oli to get him out of the club would be a positive for for United I think I think I don't think he'll go anywhere this summer I think they'll obviously want to see because there's pressure on Ronaldo's perform and United have now got probably about as many options as they need in those forward positions. I don't think they they need another anybody else to fill those positions. So, and because there's options, that means whilst Ronaldo will walk into that team to start with, he'll have to perform to stay there. And I think if he has a, a good season, then he's got a two-year contract, they'll roll on to next year. And if that happens, then they then might look to, loop, to move Martial on. I think they'll be able to make that decision sort of based on whether they need him in the context of this squad rather than trying to make any sort of assumptions about how well players are going to do before they actually join the club and integrate themselves. That's the same with Sancho as with Ronaldo. So I think they've got about the right amount of options up there for this season. Yeah, well, I'm pleased you brought him up because they've just spent 70, 80 million on on Sancho and we're talking about Greenwood playing from the right, Ronaldo playing through the middle, Rashford playing on the left, Cavani. You know, we haven't really mentioned Sancho. He's obviously going to take time to bed into that team. And it, presumably, he is going to be the long-term person playing from the right. But then, so do you see the long-term plan Greenwood shifting to the middle and it being Sancho, Greenwood, Rashford? Yeah, I think that's probably an outline how it looks. You obviously never know how players are going to develop, how who's going to improve, who's going to drop off, etc. But I think... I think Greenwood has looked really good through the middle in the three games this this year. And it gives United a bit of a different way of playing. But I think, yeah, in the long term, Sancho has been brought to that right-hand side position. Greenwood will probably then move through the middle and Rashford to the left. But again, for this season, there'll be more than enough games. And there's pressure on these players to, to perform, um, to stay in the team. But I do also think with those options, they're quite different. So with Ronaldo up front, he's more of your, you know, your number nine. He's, the aim is for him to get 40 goals a season. Cavani is similar, in a similar vein of striker in that he's a goal getter and I think he's a really good option. But United have then got Greenwood as well who, alright, he's got three and three but he drifts around, he drops off, he runs at people, he's got a bit more pace 
And I just think United now in those positions have just got some options to play different ways that they haven't had in the past. It's sort of been plan A and plan B is essentially lump the ball in the box and hope for the best. So I think it, I think it is positive going forward. Are they title contenders now? Good question. Um, I was pretty strong last week on my lack of respect for predictions. Yes, United could win the league this season. I don't think it's completely unfeasible that, you know, if United won the league this season, would people say, oh, holy fuck, can't believe they've done that. Looking at the players they've got, no. But I don't, people wouldn't say that. They'd say, oh, they've got Ronaldo, they've got Rashford, they've got Bruno Fernandes, etc. So it's not that much of a surprise. I don't think they'll win it because I think... Chelsea and Liverpool, uh, Chelsea and City have got proven world-class managers and good squad depth. United have got good squad depth, but the manager is still to be proven. So that's why I would make those two teams favourites. And conversely, I know we'll move on to Liverpool, but I think Liverpool and United are similar because I think Liverpool have got the proven world-class manager. I still don't think they've quite got the squad depth that some of the other teams have got. So they've kind of got one half of the equation Whereas I do think Chelsea and City have got both halves of that that equation. Does Solskjaer have to win something this year with that squad? Something big. That's what he wins, but, but something yeah. big. Yeah, well, yeah, I think he does. I.e. Champions League, league. I don't think he has to win the Champions League or the league because I think if he got to the Champions League final, then once you get to a final, anything can happen. Really, yeah. I think you can plan and build a team to get to finals. I think that's fair enough for the manager to be expected to be able to do that. But once you actually get to a final, it's a one-off game. You know, Wigan beat Man City in an FA Cup final. That doesn't mean that all of the work City did up to that point in that season was crap and they should have got someone else. Um, But yeah, I think he's got to win something, a League Cup, an FA Cup and challenge for the Premier League and get to the latter stages of the Champions League, definitely. So we'll go on to the results now from the weekend's games. Let's start with Liverpool, as we started with United last weekend. Do you want to have your opening thoughts and then I'll give my thoughts afterwards on Liverpool? Yeah, yeah, because I suspect mine will be more positive around Chelsea (laughs) than yours (laughs) will. Um, Although you probably got more insight to offer. I thought it was a good game, to be fair. The... The standard was quite good in the first half, particularly two good teams going each other. I thought Chelsea were the better team when it was 11 versus 11. Um, but Liverpool created some chaos in the way that Liverpool are able to, to get that equalising goal. It was a it was a handball. And once it was a handball, Rhys James had to go. At which point I thought Liverpool really huffed and puffed and pushed as you'd expect them to at home with the man advantage. But I thought Chelsea, with a little bit of luck, held out quite resolutely and looked dangerous towards the end of the game so I think Chelsea will be pretty happy with the point especially in the context of having 10 men I don't know if you felt Liverpool were worthy of the three points or whether they left a little bit out there well I'd like to like to start by saying I was actually quite disappointed with the atmosphere I thought that I we said that it was going to be tough for Chelsea and it was going to be I thought the players did all they could to make it tough for Chelsea but sometimes when a team has nine men behind the ball for most of the match, you need a bit of a bit of something extra. And whether that's the crowd making making the players feel uncomfortable, whether that's you know a bit of luck, a bounce of the ball, whatever. I just think that the crowd element was missing, and a, a big part of going to Anfield 
is having to deal with the atmosphere. And I just don't think that was there. I thought it was okay for the first five minutes or so. And I thought Liverpool actually started the better team. And if, if Harvey Elliott's shot goes in, then it's a completely different story. In the, in, I think it was the third minute or something. Yeah, I thought, I thought Liverpool played okay. I thought the Havertz goal was a poor goal to concede. I'm not sure if he meant it. Gary Neville seems to think he does, but I'm not, not convinced it comes off of his neck. That being said, you know, the, the full picture is an unbelievable header. I think it was poor. I think there should have been a man on the back post. I don't know why there wasn't. There normally is. And to, to have Havertz with a free header of the, the edge of the six-yard box, I just thought that the defending was poor. I think Klopp actually got the tactics totally wrong. To start with, I thought Firmino starting was a was a strange one, particularly because Jota. Well, he's got you know he's scored in in both the both the opening games, but I also thought that it was a bit of a defensive move. And I think when you're playing at home against you know the pretenders to the crown, if you like, you've kind of got to make a bit more of a statement with your team selection. You can't just go, oh well, we're going to defend because all the talks on Lukaku and Havertz and, and Mount at the start of the match. I thought we should have come out all guns blazing a bit. And I thought, you you know, when Firmino went off, you could see the difference in the Liverpool team. They were playing with a lot more energy. There was a lot more, that zip of the ball was back again. In terms of the Liverpool goal, it was definitely a penalty. There was no shadow of a doubt. I mean, when he, it was the swing of his arm that gave it away most. I think that was stupid. He probably could have got away with it if it had just not done that. If the ball well, comes off... This is what I thought. I thought, because the new law around handball is that it probably shouldn't be a penalty if it deflects. And this is where Tuchel and the Chelsea fans were up in arms about it because it hits his, I think his thigh and bounces up onto his hand. And that's fine. But they then ignore the fact that once that happens, he very clearly then swings his arm yeah. at the ball to try and push it away. Yeah. But what I did find particularly strange about the refereeing in that was that he, and I noticed this live, and I've seen a few people talk about it afterwards. The referee, was it Anthony Taylor, I think? Was yeah, it? it was. Yeah, yeah. Ran, ran over to the, the VAR screen, got there, arrived at the point where they'd frozen the ball, hitting Reese James's arm after it hit his thigh, turned around before they played it through, and gave the penalty and sent him off. It just seemed bizarre to me because he then seems to have given the penalty for the first bit and the red card yeah. for the first bit, rather than for the second bit where he tries to push the ball out of the goal. Um, and the whole thing just seemed... It just it, it spoke to me of a referee, and I got this impression throughout the whole game, um, who wasn't the most composed in the game and panicked a little bit most, most of the times he had to actually make a decision. No, I mean, I don't rate Anthony Taylor in the slightest as a referee, but I thought even by his standards, he had a poor game. It goes it goes on to a wider issue as well, is that because we can't hear the referees communicating with each other, it could have been that he said, I've seen him swing his arm at the ball. Can I just check that it's actually touched his hand so that they then show the freeze frame? Yes, it did. OK, well, then I'm going to stick with my decision. That could have happened. But we don't know. All that we see is the chaos of Anthony Taylor waving away the claims, saying no penalty. And then it takes so long. And, you know, I, I honestly thought he wasn't going to give it at one point. And in terms of his performance in open play, you know, I, we've, we've spoken a bit about this in terms of the refs letting, letting more things go this season. That's great. That's, you know, the game flow is brilliant. But 
how many times did he bail out Chelsea defenders who would just still do that thing where the defenders back themselves into the corner and just jump on the ball and anywhere else on the pitch, he's let that go. But every single time he fell for it with the Chelsea players and then they, they were time wasting. They were, you know, it just absolutely, he, he was not consistent. You know, there were so many things where it's like, well, that could have been a foul last season and it could have been a foul on another area of the pitch in this game, but he's not given it. So I, I didn't think he had a particularly good game. I think, and I don't, I don't want to slate the referee too much because this was actually quite a good game between two teams that will finish at the top of the league. But I think that's a really good point about him buying these soft free kicks in the defensive third where defenders get themselves in a bit of trouble and they just fall on the ball. That is exactly, as a fan, the reason why we enjoyed the Euros and why the referees and the Premier League we're going to adopt this tougher stance was to get rid of play acting like that. And I also noticed in this game, um, albeit not from looking at it from the position of wanting Liverpool to do well, I thought there were instances throughout the game where defenders just, because they realised the referee was doing this, oh, well, I'm in a bit of trouble, so I'll just fall on the ball. And just for a sense of balance as well, I don't know if this will inspire your wrath, but I also thought (laughs) um, that he was particularly poor for not booking Fabinho for about 12 different fouls yeah. throughout the game. But I, I think, I don't know if you've got anything else to respond to on that, but I think talking about the referee, although we've just done it, is um, a bit of a shame because I thought it was quite a good game. Would you, do you think it was two points dropped for Liverpool? Or do you think that because they weren't at it and Chelsea are a good team, that a point is not going to define the season particularly? Well, I think it was, if you look at it in the context of whenever whenever two big teams play each other in the league, more and more, they just cancel each other out and both teams are happy with the draw. Especially when it's a third game of the season, both teams were quite cautious. But then in, in it, that's how it looks in terms of a one-all result. But if you look at the actual game, yeah, I do think it was, I do think it was two points dropped. But it's one, of those, it's one of those where it happens when, you know, you've absolutely... I thought Liverpool battered Chelsea for most of the game. I really do. I thought, especially when the red card happened and that opening 15, 20 minutes of the second half, Chelsea... Well, I think Chelsea had about two shots in the whole of the second half. It was... They absolutely battered them. And I think if there was, if there was a bit of luck, if there was a bit of... You know, it could have gone the other way and we'd be talking about a masterclass from Klopp. But I... No, I, I think it's... I think one all... It feels like two points dropped because it's at home and it's Chelsea and it's but I think on balance it probably was a fair enough result. I would like to talk a little bit about Harvey Elliott though. because uh, yeah. I thought he was brilliant, but I don't think he got nearly enough credit from the people watching the game. I think for a for an eighteen year old, and I know it's it's his age should be irrelevant because if you're good enough, you're old enough. But for him to come into that team and he was the most creative looking player every time he got the ball you felt like something was going to happen and the Chelsea players felt that as well because you could see they absolutely swamped him they were leaving Salah unmarked Trent was allowed to just wander into midfield for most of the game so they obviously saw Harvey Elliott as a threat as well and I think that's a huge compliment to him there's there's been a lot of negativity around him starting on social media with Liverpool fans and I just want to distance myself from that as much as possible because I think how can you we're supposed to be this club that 
promotes youth and we're very proud of, of having one of our own in the team and having young English players come through and obviously young Scouse English players come through as well with Curtis Jones and Trent Alexander-Arnold. But Trent had a nightmare on his debut at Old Trafford and he didn't get stick for Harvey Elliott not threading a ball through the eye of the needle against a team who hardly score, hardly concede goals. You know, I just think it's completely unjustified. And I thought, you know, if that if that shot of his had gone in, it would have been a completely different story. And you think he was, you know, he's what, three inches away from being a hero and now he's now he's being vilified. I just don't I just don't get that at all. Um, and I, I have it, actually got a, a question. Sorry, Tinchar. I've actually got a question on that about what you say about this, about his perception on social media. And it's more of a broader question because I thought he had a good game. I haven't seen him play particularly before now, but he looked every inch like he belonged there. But do you feel that kind of negativity to him comes more from foreign-based Liverpool fans? Because with United, the players like Rashford often get the most stick on social media. And it often comes from from my own kind of experience of it. It tends to come from foreign-based United fans. And I don't have a problem with foreign-based United fans at all, but they seem almost think that whereas, you know, the local fans love these players because they're local, yeah. the foreign-based fans that perhaps are more prevalent on social media than they are in the ground take the other view that they get preferential treatment just because they're local and they think perhaps they then get made allowances for rather than just purely, is this player good enough? Do you think there's any of that or is it mostly sort of Scouse Liverpool fans that you've seen? No, I think, I think, pos- I think that's quite a good observation. I think there's definitely a bit of that. But I was seeing it on pretty pretty Scouse-based podcasts and, and fan-written articles and apps and things like that. But it was mainly taking out-of-context stuff from the people that you're talking about on social media and then discussing it and giving it some validity, which I don't think is helpful at all because the headline of all these is should Klopp have played Harvey Elliott? Yes, is the answer to that. Of course he should. He had a, he had a good game against uh, against Burnley of course he should start against Chelsea and I think he's earned himself a place to start next week as well the fact that Klopp took Henderson off and not Elliot shows that how much he's you know how much he's got faith in this kid and I think these are the players that we should be protecting rather than spunking 50 60 million on a new midfielder just because that's the way football's going if if the if the answer to the problem is already in the squad and in the academy then that's that's the direction you should go and I think that's the one thing that that unifies Liverpool and United and a few other clubs. You know, I think Spurs can be a bit like that. West Ham can be a bit like that as well. In that they've, they've Palace as well, very good at promoting these younger players. And I think that that should be something that we hold on to. Yeah, I think you're right about um, all of that pretty much. But And I, know, I think we disagree on this fundamentally from the episodes we've done. When I was watching that game, I did think from the point of view of improving the what Liverpool have got and where they might come up short again was that I just felt that they were lacking options from the bench to turn that sort of game around. And I think this does go back to last season as well. A lot of those games that Liverpool lost at home, I felt there was a point where Liverpool just ran out of ideas, swung crosses in the box and the other team were like, well, this is great. This is exactly what we want. Yeah. Do you... Do you still think that Liverpool have got enough options, particularly at the forward end of the pitch, rather than, you know, I know Liverpool have had injuries at the other end of the pitch, so it's not the same, but particularly sort of in those front three, four positions? 
Yeah, I think we're three game we're three games in. So there's there's a lot of the players that were on the bench, like Thiago not coming on, he's not fit. They haven't had a full preseason. Henderson's not fit, and he showed that uh, over the weekend. Fabinho's just come back into the team. So I think there's an element of that. If you were offering me the chance to sign a new centre-forward, yes, I would take it. I think that they do need another option going forward. And I would like another option in midfield, although it seems like Harvey Elliott's going to be playing there a lot more and he does have a spark. So I don't know. I think Liverpool is, is just, they do things differently to other clubs. And whether when it goes well, they're praised for it, perhaps too much in the op- opinion of opposition fans. And when it goes badly, they're slated for it, perhaps too much in the opinion of Liverpool fans. So it's one of those things where you can only really stick to the way you've always done things. And when it goes well, it's great. When it doesn't, it doesn't. And I think Liverpool at the moment, I don't think they'll win the league. I think they'll be in the top four. I think we'll, I think we'll actually break up. I don't think everyone's, you know, everyone who's saying the top three is going to be City, Chelsea and United. I don't think it will. I think Liverpool will sneak in there somewhere. But we'll see which one which one of those drops out. What I will like to say about Chelsea, though, is that they did look a very good side. I thought Lukaku was completely nullified, as as predicted. <laughs> uh, I think when you actually put a decent centre-half against him, I know Van Dijk's the best centre-half in the world, not just a decent one, but he kind of shows his uh, his limitations. Whereas when, you know, you with, with, with Lukaku, and I'm not going to pretend like I'm, a, I'm an expert centre-back, but you've either got to step off him and let him have the ball or you've got a nip in front of him. You can't try and get into a wrestling match with him. And that's what Arsenal seem to do. Uh, and I think, I think Van Dijk did that very well. I think Matip has played himself out of contention. I didn't think he had a good game at all. I think Canate and Gomez will be sitting on the bench, licking their lips, thinking, well, I'm going to be in soon because th- this was not good. There were several times he got rolled by Lukaku and if he was next to anyone else in defence, it could have been a different story. But Van Dijk mopped it up, you know, like it was like it was nothing. I like Chelsea as a as a team this year. Obviously, don't like the club, but as a team this year, I think they've got a reasonably good chance. I think Tuchel's a very good manager, and he seems like he just seems like a nice bloke in general, and he seems like he knows what he knows what he's doing. I think the one thing with Chelsea though is that they're always a bad decision or a bad run away from the wheels totally coming off and I thought it was going to happen in that game when the players just went nuts after the penalty was given I thought that they I thought it was helpful for them that it was so close to half time because Tuchel could get them in and reset I think if that had happened any earlier I think they would have fallen to bits and I think Liverpool would have perhaps gone ahead but you know that's a hypothetical now so I think that game has improved your um, perception of Chelsea I think you've been quite dismissive of them up to now, but it sounds like you were quite quite dismissive. I just think Chelsea a bit more impressed. Um, yeah, a bit more impressed. I think it was. I was impressed with players I didn't think I was going to be impressed by. I wrote off Mason Mount and Havertz before the game because I haven't seen anything of them prior to that in a Chelsea shirt that has made me think they're a top top player. Um, and that you know remains to be seen. But I thought Havertz for you know the the half that he was on. <laughs> had a good game and Mason Mount had a good game as yeah, well. Yeah, I was surprised they took Havertz off. I thought he had a good game. But and I also thought when you play five at the back and two holding midfielders, um, even when you go down to 10 men, you've probably got enough defenders on. As long as your forward players work hard, which Chelsea's do, then I kind of feel you you need to retain some threat up there. So I was surprised Havertz came on. 
Um, just on Lukaku as well. I didn't think he was awful. I thought we had a few moments where he looked dangerous, but he just looks like the same Lukaku that was here yeah. what, three years ago. There was a couple of moments where he could have done better and didn't. There was that moment where he faced the Chelsea defence up maybe 40 yards out with space to run into, started running forward on the left, proceeded to trip over the ball yeah, and then stab it out to someone. I thought it was just classic classic him but I also just get the sense sometimes when he plays in this sort of game you just want to if he's your centre forward you just want to get him a bit angrier a bit more like Diego Costa because he goes through the game a bit like a gentle giant sometimes Mm. where in those sorts of games where you feel maybe he's not quite as confident as he is against Arsenal I felt there were times where you know Van Dijk has just come back from a really bad injury I felt Lukaku could have thrown himself about a bit you know take a yellow card for a foul on him or so you know try and get in a bit more of a battle with him. But he almost seemed scared of Van Dyke before the game even started because as good as Van Dyke is, the last thing he would have wanted out of that game is a fired-up Lukaku almost targeting him, trying to get in a physical battle. That's not to say he couldn't have handled it, but I bet he's happier with the way the game went than he would have been if Lukaku had really tried to to make it a nightmare for him. Um, but he just doesn't, I don't know. He just doesn't seem to do that very often. And that's something I thought uh, from his time at United, Lukaku. Yeah, well, he's always, that. that's the criticism that's thrown at him, isn't it? Is that can he do it in the big games? But I, I just think he's got such obvious limitations, which are if you get him on his right foot, if you actually let him try and play, you know, run with the ball and play it. I just think that there's, if you're a real top, top defender and you just step off him and go, okay, mate, run with it, show him onto his right foot. I don't think he's very dangerous. Whereas if you're, you're right, if you get into a battle with him, if you let him roll you, if you get him onto his left foot, he's lethal. And if you get into a battle with him in the air, he's lethal. So I think if a team's got Lukaku up front, as long as you're stopping the crosses and you're showing him onto his right foot whenever possible, I think you'll have a pretty good chance against Chelsea, which is why I don't think they will win the league. He'll bang them in against the shit teams. But I think against City and obviously, as we've seen against Liverpool, probably against United as well. And I would say like Spurs, if they carry on with their steely defence and obviously it's a London derby, you know, I just think he'll he'll come up against it a little bit. Should we move on to United? Yep. Yeah, you'll notice I was a lot more graceful in my dealing of Liverpool's dropped points than you were. Well, I mean, <laughs> last Chelsea, week with United. <laughs> well, the way, the way you were speaking about Chelsea the first few weeks, I'd have thought, you know, they would be down there with Arsenal. Um, and Southampton. No, I, I, they're 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 a good side. I just don't think. I, I think I'm here to offer some balance, Lawrence. Everyone else is <laughs> wanking off. I, I'm not here to do that. I think they're a good side, but I don't think they'll win the league. Anyway, United. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think the best thing about that game was the three points. Obviously, United were pretty shit for the vast majority of the game particularly in the first half, it was just a mess. And it's kind of hard to be succinct in analysing why it was such a mess. Fred was absolutely shocking. But in Fred's defence, United set up a team and sent a team out there that played to Fred's weaknesses. Yeah, um, I, I actually quite liked the 11 he picked, but I thought he was going to play Fred deeper with Pogba and Fernandes just in front of him, sort of as a two who were going to run around, sort of float a bit. But press the ball but instead of that he sort of played Fred in his usual position as one of the holders and then tried to make Pogba channel his inner Scott McTominay 
and play him next to Fred as a holding midfielder. And it just didn't work because that is not that is not Pogba's. You, you're playing to Pogba's weaknesses, um, and it just meant that effectively United played without a midfield against a team that played at high tempo and ran around. And United just couldn't couldn't get going in the first half. He got better in the second half because Wolves ran out of a little bit of steam and then United were able to get hold of the ball a little bit more. So those defensive limitations weren't really as key in the second half. Even having said that, United didn't get going. And for most of the game, even the second half, Wolves were the better team. But United have just got good individual players that can win a game. The goalkeeper should have done better with Greenwood's shot, but he's hit it low and he's hit it hard. And yeah. goalkeeper's going to make errors. But I think to take to try and analyse that in the context of the first three games is kind of what we've seen from United for the past 18 months. Absolutely blew away Leeds, played phenomenally well, didn't turn up in the next two games, but have got seven points out of nine yeah. with two of the games being away from home. So it, it almost doesn't make sense, but you know, <laughs> it would have been great to have nine points out of those three games, but I'd say seven out of nine is, I'm fine with that, to be honest. Yeah, well, especially um, based on how everyone else has started as well. Seven seems to be the, the pace at the moment. Obviously, Spurs have got nine, but I don't think they'll they'll maintain that. I agree. I thought Wolves, it's the same, the same issues with Wolves. We've said it a couple of times. They just can't finish. They really can't finish. And I think De Gea had a good game. And I think he kept United in the, in the game at times. He rolled back the years. But yeah, it just came down to... The, the chance that United got, they took. I agree with you. I think the goalkeeper should have done better. But it's what separate the good teams from the average teams. I think Wolves were happy to kind of go, yeah, we've, we should have won this, but we'll take a nil-nil draw. And United went, well, actually, we probably should have lost this, but we're going to, you know, we, we're eyeing up the win now. And I think... yeah. I think it's nice. Yeah. I think it's actually good because I, I think you should always try and score goals in football. And I'm not suggesting that Wolves weren't. But I think that United had that killer instinct and I think they deserved the win as a result. Yeah, I think Wolves, because they played so well, they almost then started to believe that it wasn't going to be their day with after yeah. maybe about an hour gone. I think if they'd started poorly and done what Salam did, grown into the game, they might have won because that momentum would have still been there. But they almost started really well and then ran out of puff after about an hour, 70-odd minutes. Yeah. And I do actually think he hasn't really been mentioned at all. Varane had a very good game. He had one moment where he got out-jumped at the corner, which led to that De Gea save. Yeah. And that piece of goalkeeping was fantastic. But other than that, given how porous the midfield was, I actually thought the back four did okay because it was literally a case of sort of 6v4 most of the time. Yeah. Um, and there were, there were a few moments, you know, Maguire got turned at the edge of the box and Varane came across and, and dealt with it well. But I think, you know, a lot of these players haven't had a pre-season, which is also a, a problem for them. Wan-Bissaka made an unbelievable... He did. Um, uh, it wasn't block, really a block. Yeah. It was almost like a, an interception because um, he sort of read it, covered it and slid in and blocked it. That was brilliant. And United did ride their luck in that way. But the defenders are part of the team. So it's their job to do good Of course, yeah, good yeah, defending. Yeah. Um, but I, I did actually think that there were some promising signs from that back four, and it is a good back four. Um, well, that's the that's, that's that probably the first choice well. one, isn't it? It's probably yeah, the first I think, choice yeah, back yeah. four. Absolutely. No, I mean we only got we've only got one right back at the club, pretty much. Um, and Luke Shaw is a good left back, and the centre halves are United's best too. De Gea has been a world class goalkeeper, and he had a really good game. There were. You know, there was the double save and then there was a couple of instances where he was quick off his line, which to anyone that watches United regularly know that that's quite a big thing because De Gea never is quick off his line. Um, he did that well. And if he's back 
if he can get himself back to anywhere near the levels he's been at previously, then that's a massive um, oh, yeah, be like a new asset. Signing. But yeah, it would to use that that cliche. Um, but you know, it's he's still he's still been a good shot stopper in the past few years. He's just had too many errors. But hopefully, with United some new players coming in, particularly players of the standing that have been brought in, hopefully that will boost him. His concentration, his desire to you know to be at his very best. Hopefully, but yeah, I think. I don't think, again, I don't think we learn anything about United this weekend that most people probably didn't already know about them. And that's that they're capable of playing absolutely terribly um, and still winning winning the game. So I think that's, I suppose, if you're going to have a defect in the team, then playing terribly but still winning is not, <laughs> is not no, the worst one to have. You'd, you'd take that. That's sort of how what they say about title winning teams, isn't it really? Is that they, they grind out the results. I noticed as well that Daniel James is uh, being hooked off, is coming earlier and earlier. So we won't see him again for the... <laughs> he, well, he's, the he's, I think he's off to um, the news sort of been today. I think he's going to go to Leeds finally, about four years after Leeds tried to buy him. I He gets a lot of stick because ultimately he isn't good enough to play at the top end for the top, top teams. But, he is always running socks off. He's had some good moments in, in a United shirt and he's obviously, it's been obvious that he's loved being there. So uh, he's frustrating because if he keeps his game simple and just gets his head down, runs and crosses the ball, he's quite useful, but he doesn't always do that. I hope he, I think he'll do well at Leeds because he's an all sort of very energetic player, which will suit their style. And I hope he, I hope he does well because he's um, always put the effort in for United. But I think that is the last we'll see of him. On to the rest of the results through the the prism of your predictions, stopping on this journey to um discuss any oh, major yes. talking points. I don't think I did very well in my predictions this week, did I? No. It's <laughs> <laughs> well you... so you got some of the results. You didn't get any correct scores, so it remains one nil to me in the the grand prediction battle yep. that we're going to have this season. First game of the weekend was Man City Arsenal. You predicted three one to Man City. I felt at the time that I was very optimistic <laughs> to expect Arsenal to score a goal, and it finished. Was it five nil in the end? It was it five nil. Yeah, five nil. I, I just thought Arsenal might. It, it's a big game. You never know in in a in a big game like that. Sometimes it sparks some sort of retaliation, but there's just no life in this Arsenal team at all, is there? I think Norwich now is a massive game for them after the international break, and it's not only a must win, but it's a must win convincingly. I think if they don't win, sort of three four nil, and really put in a good performance, then Arteta's in trouble, and. I just can't see where this where this Arsenal team are going. I mean, that being said, City looked very efficient as always. Uh, everyone's talking about how they need to sign a striker, me included, but they've just won the last two games 5-0. <laughs> so I think City are definitely the, still the team to beat. Uh, I'm, I struggle to get enthusiastic about them, though, just because of what they stand for as a club. But I think I think they do look a very good side and they absolutely wipe the floor with Arsenal. Well, there's... There's a couple of points to go into, both with City and Arsenal. I think City don't need a centre-forward for most of the games they play. I think not having one might cost them at the back end of the season. I think particularly the Champions League, things like that. 
it might be nice for them to have a, a centre forward. And despite them falling them over themselves to say they don't want Ronaldo, etc., they have tried to sign Messi, Kane, and Ronaldo in a transfer window and failed with all three. I think that probably tells you that Guardiola thinks they need a centre yeah. forward. And um, so it'd be interesting to see that. I do, and I didn't particularly plan to talk about this because it is quite serious, but you said about it being difficult to like Man City as a club. I feel exactly the same way, not just because they're Manchester City, but because they are, well, essentially issues around their ownership. But it came out last week that Benjamin Mendy has allegedly raped quite a lot of women. And it also came out with no publicity from the BBC, Sky Sports. And I know they have to be careful on this because they don't want to get sued and it is only alleged, which is important. But Manchester City have been aware about him being under investigation for raping women for quite a while now. Um, I think it was perhaps November time he was being investigated by the police and City have let him play. I know football is a separate industry, but in any other job, if you're um, under investigation for rape, you will be suspended while that investigation goes on. Um, for Manchester so. City, yeah, it's just been swept under the rug, and he's still he's still played, and that just it, it's one of the reasons that I really do dislike Manchester City as a club because, all right, there are you know Manchester City are sports washing, you know, to the extreme, but they cheat. They've been, you know, financial fair play. They've essentially financially doped for years. They haven't bothered to deny it. They've just said, well, the evidence you got wasn't collected fairly, so we well, shouldn't and be they've banned. Been, they've, been, they've been under investigation by the Premier League for two years and paid yeah. them off to keep it quiet. Yeah, and, then, owners... and then this sort of thing. Um, it, just, it, it just baffles me that because they play nice football and have got a manager that, you know, the Gary Linekers of, of the pundit world... Um, love that they just there's no scrutiny of this this really isn't good at all but it doesn't seem like anybody cares because they play some nice tippy tappy football and they've got a manager that people like um because of his football principles but i do also think he's quite hypocritical he wears his open arms hoodie and works for abu dhabi fc um who are the worst oppressors of human rights on the planet so you know, yeah. uh, does he respect the human rights of these women that have been allegedly raped? Um, well, I don't all know, the, been all very the, quiet the slaves the that the, their owners yeah. own, um, you know, there's... there's... <laughs> yeah, uh, so I, I just wanted to bring that up because I think it's... Sometimes people think that people don't like City because they're good. Um, maybe some people don't, but I think, I think that doesn't do justice to the real reason why people don't like Man City. On a slightly lighter note, because it is fun to laugh at Arsenal... <laughs> I don't think we need to go too much into why Arsenal are shit because we've done that a lot. But just on Arteta, because the debate now seems to be around whether Arsenal should sack him and how long they should go before they sack him. Yeah. How long do you think he gets? How long do I think he gets? I think if he doesn't beat, I just said, if he doesn't beat Norwich convincingly. You think he'll be gone? I think he'll be gone. But I, but that that's that's what I would do. But I think we were having a conversation about this off air. I think they've almost got to give him the season now. Because he spent so much money, all the Arsenal fans are going on about getting Conte. They won't get Conte. They might get Eddie Howe, and I think you know they they should have potentially got when Brendan Rodgers looked like he was leaving Celtic. I think they should have potentially gone for him, and you know when it was clear that he was going to go to Leicester, they should have gone. Well, do you fancy Arsenal instead? 
and he would have probably gone. And I think he's a better manager than Arteta, and I think he would have done a, a reasonable job there. But I think I don't know, Lawrence. I really don't know with Arsenal. Who like I think well, they should have sacked him at the end of last season. I think two eighth eighth place finishes in a row with no signs of progress whatsoever. I know Klopp finished eighth, but at least he played some exciting football and he got to two finals. You know that I. I don't know. When do you, how long do you think he's got? Well, I asked you this question because I somewhat wanted to set you up to give you the to give a counter argument, but I think we're pretty much on the same page. I honestly don't know whether he'll go if the results don't improve. I suspect Arsenal will have a bit more patience with him because I don't know who they're going to get in. But my thought on this, from sort of taking into account everything, the whole context of it is that they've just spent 150 million. Now, they have to demand some sort of an improvement for that. But that's a lot of money from Arsenal. Arsenal don't spend hundreds of millions of pounds every transfer window. Because they've spent that and given Arteta that backing, they now have to see it through, don't they? They can't give a manager 150 million and then sack him after four games into that season. I think they've got to keep him for the season and hope like hell that he turns it around. Because if they do, I don't know who they'd get as a new manager. But even if they get Guardiola, are Arsenal going to give him 150 million next summer to, well, no, to update the squad the way he wants it? Probably yeah. not. So that whatever manager comes in will be working with the players Arteta's got. Um, bar, you know, they'll buy one or two players, but they won't spend big. So the fact that they've given Arteta, a, you know, a lot of money this season, even if they haven't spent it particularly well, yeah, I think they've got to. I don't see what option they've got other than to trust the process, um, <laughs> as they like to say. <laughs> Yeah, well, and I think the real damning indictment as to just how far Arsenal have fallen and are continuing to fall was Guardiola defending Arteta in the press conference after the game. He is the only person I've seen on television come out and publicly defend Mikel Arteta. And I think, you know, (laughs) could you imagine supporting a team where you've just been beaten 5-0 and the opposition manager is coming out telling you, yeah, trust the manager. He's doing really well. Yeah, you know, could you? how patronising is that? And I, I, I'm not uh, suggesting that Guardiola meant it in a patronising way. I'm sure it was genuine. But that is just Arsenal are no longer, they're not a top six club. What, what does top six even mean? It used to be the big four. It doesn't matter. If you don't finish first, but you finish in the top four, it doesn't matter what order it's, you're in. Arsenal are nowhere near that. They'd be lucky if they no. finish in the top half this season. Well, I thought Guardiola's comments were like the footballing equivalent of pity sex. But um... <laughs> is that is that speaking from experience? <laughs> <laughs> no, but it just um, it just it, I know he's got that personal connection with Arteta, not the pity sex with um, the, the fact that, that they work together. That would be the together. next rumor that comes out of Man City. <laughs> It just I know they've worked together um, and it did very much just it's almost like Guardiola is invested in him doing well because he thinks he's a good coach when all the evidence is that he might be a good first team coach but he isn't the man to turn this Arsenal team around and that's it that's all I have to say <laughs> that's all I have to say on the matter Go through the rest of your predictions now and the yeah, results. Yeah, we'll speed through them. We're running out of time. Yeah, so you predicted Villa to win 2-0 against Brentford. You were wrong. The result was 1-1. That's a 
good point for Brentford, isn't it? Yeah, I think they look a very good side. And I, I think their manager is... I liked him as well in the press conference. I think Brentford are here to stay. Yeah, he's nuts, that manager, which is always a good addition to yeah. any Premier League season. Exactly. Um, your reluctance to predict an Everton win clouded your judgment on this one, I think. You predicted <laughs> Brighton to win 2-1 um, in a game that Everton won 2-0. You're not going to predict Everton to win at any point this season, are you? Unless they're playing Norwich. <laughs> I might. I just thought Brighton looked decent in the first couple of games. But yeah, I, I think I will have to be a bit more sensible on the next one. The next game, you did actually get the result correct, even if you didn't get the score correct. You said Newcastle Southampton nil nil in what was actually a game of four goals. So you underestimated the <laughs> strength of these two attacking powerhouses. Well, I just um, think they're both so shit at the back. And I, I thought they'd cancel each other out because they're both also both shit going forward. But it turns <laughs> out that the, uh, the the shit at the back came out on top. So, well, that's not a good <laughs> quote out of context, is it? <laughs> <laughs> the next get some more relative success for you in the next game. You predicted Leicester to win 3-0 at home to not, uh, away at Norwich. They only managed to win 2-1 in what was actually quite a close game. Yeah. I think Norwich, they have sort of two ways of playing, and that is to either get thumped or to be in the game and narrowly lose. That seems yeah. to be their two two options, and I really don't see that doing anything other than continuing, sadly for them. I don't know <laughs> if anybody particularly dislikes Norwich, but their relegation seems to be one of the most inevitable things about this season. The next game, actually probably the surprise of the weekend... You predicted West Ham to beat Palace 4-0, in which didn't seem outlandish at the time, but it was actually 2-2. Again, that's that's a pretty good point for Palace, I would I would say, and probably just, you know, all right, it's not a good result for West Ham, but that's why they're looking to finish sixth rather than being taken seriously as title contenders, I would suspect. Inverted commas, super Sunday. Burnley Leeds was first up. You predicted 3-2 to Leeds. It was 1-1. Anything to say about that at all? No, nothing at all. No. Okay, let's move <laughs> on to the game. The game that can be best described as happening at the same time as Burnley versus Leeds versus <laughs> Watford. Um, you predicted 1-1. You were very, very close, but unfortunately Tom Cleverley wasn't able to inspire Watford to a goal. That finished 1-0 to Spurs. We haven't talked about Spurs Nobody I've heard on the TV or radio has talked about Spurs other than the Harry Kane fiasco, but top of the league after three games played. Do you think they're yeah, in I the think, mix? No. What, for the title? Yeah. No, no, they're not in the mix for the title. They're in the mix for, for the European places, not the Champions League, but I think they'll get they'll get the, in the Europa League this year. Why? I think I just... I, sorry? Why? Why don't you think Spurs are in the mix? What have you seen worries you well nothing in particular they've they've won all three games so they've and i don't think they've they haven't conceded a goal yet have they no and arsenal haven't scored one i saw that pointed out <laughs> yeah, and everyone's talking about how spurs are in crisis uh no i think i think nuno's come in and regardless of what happens for the rest of the season i think he deserves a lot of credit for these three games and steadying the ship because that could have been an absolute disaster. The Harry Kane situation, Son looking like he might have his head turned as well. Deli Ali, is he ever going to get back to the player that he was? Larice has, you know, had 
a litany of errors throughout throughout his the last couple of seasons. And I think he's come in and kept their heads down. They've gone about their business quietly. They've managed to keep Kane and they've done, I think Spurs have done very well. Uh, and I think he deserves a lot of a lot of credit for that start to the season and steadying the ship. And he's he's built a platform now for them to at least have a season. It doesn't it doesn't matter. I don't think they'll win the league and I don't think they'll finish in the top four, but they've at least got a platform now for the fans to get back on side and for them to at least fight for something this season, whether it's a trophy or whether it's, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, so I think I think Nuno deserves a lot of credit for that. Yeah, I do too. I think three wins from three without the easiest set of fixtures, all whilst having to manage the team with the sideshow that was the Harry Kane, Daniel Levy Royal battle. Rumble. Royal Rumble, yeah. <laughs> Fight of the ages. Um, I think, yeah, he deserves a lot of credit for that. So we're going to go on to what really grinds my gears. And I touched on it earlier, Lawrence, but what really grinds my gears is that... So it happened in the Liverpool game where I thought Harvey Elliott had an unbelievable game and possibly should have been man of the match, in my opinion. I know it's a bit biased, but I've noticed it a couple of times with Mason Greenwood as well. We seem to have a habit in this country where we listen to the pundits and instead of going, do you know what? This 18-year-old from just down the road had an unbelievable game. And even if he wasn't quite the best player on the pitch, the fact he's in that conversation, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt and give him the Man, man of the Match award. Or get, well, let's talk about him at least on the, on the post-match analysis. Instead, we have to just go on and on and on about who they've spunk the most money on. Whether it's we have to talk about Cavani or we have to talk about Lukaku, or we have to talk about the Chelsea defence or, you know, whatever. It's, it's just such a shame that we can't, we can't appreciate these players for, for what they are because we all know how difficult it is to break into a team like this. It's even more difficult to stay there. So it could be that, you know, we might never talk about these players, but why not take the opportunity when it's there? Harvey Elliott had a brilliant game. Mason Greenwood's had numerous brilliant games, but I've never really seen a whole section dedicated to either of those two players or any similar, you know, when, when Trent was first coming through, obviously they, he's now, you know, you can't ignore him now, but when he first came through, they weren't really talking about him. Wan-Bissaka, when he was at Palace, when he first came through, why can't we just have a bit of excitement about it? Not, 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 talk, not going the Rooney approach where you put all the pressure on the players, but just, you know, having a bit of excitement, a bit of joy in watching these these young players come through rather than just going, yeah, he had a good game, but I'm going to give the man of the match award to uh, Christensen or whoever because, you know, they played really boring football and nine men behind the ball and ground out a result. Who the fuck wants to watch that as a fan? Yeah, it's a results business and whatever. But I just thought, I thought that from an English fan's point of view, regardless of who you support, it was far more enjoyable to watch Harvey Elliott play than it was to watch the Chelsea players grind out a draw. Yeah, I think that also, ironically, because we were talking about Ronaldo, who is more down the Lukaku-Cavani spectrum, I think that does time with what we said at the start. I think Sky and BT, etc., who obviously put a huge amount of money into football, it's a, it's a business for them. They do often lose sight of the fact that football is supposed to be fun. It's not. He is serious um, and people are passionate about it and it does matter and people do care, but football is supposed to be fun. So I think you're absolutely right that sometimes these 
commentators and pundits could do with taking both themselves and what they commentate on a little less seriously and just remember that it's entertaining it's competitive you don't know what's going to happen and mostly just to enjoy what is happening regardless yeah. of what the result actually is i yeah. wasn't expecting that from you this week that wasn't i, I what was were expecting, expecting i don't know i don't know i don't know what i was expecting but that that poignant impassioned defense of fun really caught me by surprise <laughs> <laughs> no i just think it's what people it's it's what you know as a as a kid like watching michael owen play and then when R- wayne rooney burst on the scene playing for everton and then united it almost didn't matter that they were two teams that i absolutely despised it was just so exciting watching this player come through and we don't really do that we either go too far the other way where we go okay they've had a good three games are they going to win the world cup for england on their own and play in goal at the same time, you know, all of that, or they just don't really talk about it. They go, yeah, he's okay, but, you know, they came up against the defence today, so we're just going to talk about the defensive performance. It's just there's a middle ground there that I think I'm trying to say is that, that we can find, and I think they didn't find it with Harvey Elliott. And the only reason I keep mentioning him is because that's when I've really noticed it at the weekend. It, it's been the case as well with, with Greenwood, with Conor Gallagher probably as well. I bet they didn't talk about him. No, well, was... I was just about to say, actually, just to reassure our loyal listeners that um, Harvey Elliott nor any of his affiliates have paid for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> We're not big enough to get any sponsorship, I'm afraid. We would, If he wants to sponsor us, for us to talk him up, we will absolutely... I mean, we're doing it for free, so we'll definitely do it for cash. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it was just, you know, like the, the match of the day highlights. If you'd have just watched that, you probably would have no idea what I'm talking about with the Harvey Elliott performance. They, they've cut out the shot that he had. They cut out all of his passes, all of the times he had the Chelsea players on the turn and was flicking passes into Salah. Got put, he put Salah through about four times. You know, it's, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But there we go, Lawrence. That is what really grinds my gears. Okay, so we're now going to go on our moment of the week. And we've actually chosen this one together this week. And it was Richarlison trying to nick a penalty off of Dominic Calvert-Lewin and then looking so... He looked... When when he picked up the ball, and I think it was... Who was the player that flicked it out of his arm? Um, Seamus Coleman was there. Yeah. But Richarlison... And there was another Everton player, but I can't remember who it was. Richarlison looked at Calvert-Lewin, who has been the penalty taker at Everton all season. There's no debate. He looked at him as if he'd just gone up to him and gone, you're right, mate. Do you mind if I just tickle your bollocks in front of all these people? Is that okay? He looked like it was the most offensive, outrageous thing. What? I'm not taking it. Uh, and it just kind of, you know, cemented my view that I think he is an absolute prick. And I hope he goes to PSG, to be honest. I loved it. Um, <laughs> we picked this. We actually, Ed knew he had a moment of the week, but couldn't remember what it was. So I listed a few ideas and I, this was one of the ones I would have picked had he not been able to come up with it. So we actually, we came up to this, we, we came up with this together, but also completely separately. That's how good a moment it was. I, I just <laughs> love it when I, I do love it when players get all arsy about not being allowed to take a penalty. Um, it just, it's fantastic because it shows what it really does show up the selfish twats that put some, you know, some players are all right and some like Richardson are not. Um, and that just showed up the fact that he is just not a team player 
I suspect he kind of hoped that Calvert-Lewin missed just to prove the yeah. point. Yeah, I wouldn't and, be surprised. Yeah, it was great and I hope it happens again. But as you say, it will, next time he will probably be trying, having to try and take the penalty off Messi at PSG. So let's see, <laughs> <laughs> let's see how that goes. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we're going to leave it there for this week. Have we got any social media news, Lawrence? Not any Twitter news. Handle? No, we did. We did um, trigger a Tottenham fan earlier in the week um, around the announcement that Harry Kane was not leaving Tottenham. That horrible post he did. Um, <laughs> completely backtracking on his attempts to go on strike that really didn't go very well. A member of our social media team posted that they didn't think Kane would have had the chuds to force through the move. Turned out to be right. And a Tottenham fan got in touch um, to lament us for our lack of followers. He's quite an, actually an interesting guy. He's um, Oh, you've got to um, know him, have you? A US, he's a US-based Tottenham fan. Um, make of that what you will. Is this our only follower? Have you? Is this all you? No, he doesn't is follow there? up. He doesn't. Oh. He doesn't follow us. Um, he has written several novels that are on Amazon. <laughs> oh my god, we should get him on. I don't think any of them have any reviews, do they? Um, we should. But get we him can on buy his book for just under two dollars, if we so wish. We could get him to read um, Steve Bruce's book on the podcast. Oh, now that would be. A meeting of the literary greats. I think <laughs> um, we we should we should try it. But yeah, that was our main material out of social media this week. So let and us see if, what the... if our listeners do want to give us a follow, so that they can see you triggering more overseas-based Spurs fans. What do they have to do, Lawrence? Uh, make a Twitter account if they don't already have one, <laughs> <laughs> and search for LED underscore football, and that will take you to our football page there'll be links to the episode as well so you can listen to us which presumably you might have done if you are listening to us um, and just see all the generally great content that goes out on there great well we've got the international break next week so we won't be making any predictions this week we'll do that at some point during the week and we'll have a we'll do a themed episode shall we we'll we'll, we'll pick a theme between us might be arsenal might be transfers we could do a deadline day one get and jim white could... on yeah, get Jim White on. We'll both wear yellow ties. And, like, yeah, that's we'll... not happening. Well, they won't know, will they? They're listening. Oh, that's true. We could do a special <laughs> video episode. <laughs> no, no one wants that. <laughs> no, I mean you're you're sat on the bed in in shorts at the moment. So yeah, I'd like to. Yeah, yeah. We are in separate rooms, but yeah, I just, I was gonna, we're, I was we're doing this. Say. We're doing this over Zoom, <laughs> so that's why I can see that. And that, Lawrence, is how rumours start. So should we leave it there? <laughs> yeah, I think that's the end of the episode this week. <laughs>